Will you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4? Today we're going to look at verses 23 through 31 of Acts chapter 4. This is the last in our series uh, in Praying for the Church. That's the title of the series. And today's message, A Prayer for Boldness. Well, let me start off with this question. Have you ever been driven to pray? Hopefully all of us pray, and regularly, but there are times when the intensity of the need drives us to pray. I'm not talking about last resort prayers. I'm talking about first alert prayers, the early prayers, the prayers that that you get to first before you do anything else. Some prayers are offered after every other avenue has been explored. Those are the last resorts of praying, or last resort praying. But being driven to pray is when we face an obstacle or perhaps an opportunity that moves us to prayer before we're moved to anything else. Now, We've talked about this some, and, and, I'm going to add, and I'll speak of it more. I'm not going to speak of it in every message, but these first four messages were designed for me to speak to the, the fact that Pastor Ray is making a transition. And for some of you, the seeing your pastor go into this time of transition, it seems like an obstacle. It seems like, oh my goodness, Pastor Ray is leaving, and so on. There are certainly challenges that are associated with this. But is it an obstacle? Well, it could be, but you should also know that it's an opportunity. All obstacles have doors marked opportunity. And many people do not see or walk through the door of opportunity because they never look at anything other than the obstacle. There are opportunities. The best way to approach that door of opportunity is to do so with a careful and a prayerful heart. There's nothing ahead for our church that should be approached without praying for God's leadership and for God's power. Now, our text today is a time in the early church where the people of God were driven to pray. There was more to do than to pray, but before anything else was done, prayer was their first priority. And their prayer ended up being a prayer for boldness, a prayer for a door of opportunity to open. Acts chapter 4 and verse 23. When they were released, let me pause there, the they that's being spoken of here is Peter and John. We'll see that a little bit later, but let me go ahead and tell you at the beginning, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle John, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predetermined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now here is a passage of Scripture that is very exciting. There are a lot of folks that preach great messages on this passage of Scripture. There is, however, some realism in this passage that is often overlooked. Yes, they prayed, and yes, the power of God came, and yes, the place was shaken, and so on. But the reason they prayed is what compelled them to pray. They were compelled to pray because of something that had happened an event that sparked them to say, we've got to pray and we've got to pray now. They were driven to pray, and they did so, the Bible says, with a singleness of heart. They had a singleness of prayer. Now, what happens when God's people pray together? Well, first, they must have to, to see if they, they must determine to see if they can pray together. Can you pray together with God's people? Examine yourself, examine your own heart, and answer the question, can I pray to God's or with God's people? And let's be very personal about it. Is there anyone in your church family with whom you cannot or will not pray? Anyone. Is there anyone within your church family who says, I will go to a prayer meeting, but I won't pray with this person? Is there anyone that you cannot have a singleness of prayer with in this church? Do you think that's a problem for praying for God's will in this church family? Are you willing to let that keep your church from finding and doing the will of God? I don't think anybody here would stand up and say, yes, I'm willing for that to continue. I can't answer that for you, though. I can only answer it for myself. And you can answer it for you, but you ought to consider that. You ought to consider whether or not you can pray with any person in your church family. When the church in Acts prayed, they did so with a singleness. And I'm sure there were matters to be addressed among them. They were a church family. There are always matters to be addressed. There's always matters in a family. We get crossways in the family, but we straighten out. And I'm sure that they got crossways, but they straightened out so that when they prayed, they were able to have a singleness of prayer. That is vital for this church family. There must be a singleness of 
prayer. We must all be praying. We won't, we're not all the same person. We do not have all the, the, the same set of circumstances in our lives, but there must be a singleness in prayer among us in this church family. Now, in this singleness of, of, of prayer, they realized that there was a time to pray. Again, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. Now again, this is Peter and John. Peter and John had been arrested for preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when brought before the scribes and the priests, they continued to preach the message. They didn't stop preach, preaching the message because they got in trouble. They continued to preach the message. They were commanded to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, but they never stopped preaching in the name of Jesus. And they made it clear that they couldn't and they wouldn't stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Even though they flatly refused, they were still sent on their way. And it was after this that they came back to the rest of the church, to their friends in Jerusalem, to tell them all that had happened. And it was definitely time for the church to pray. Now, it's always time for the church to pray, but there are times that we are driven as a church family to pray. Wouldn't you agree that with the needs that lie in our country and the needs that are in our church and in our community, wouldn't you agree that it's time for us to pray? I mean, wouldn't you agree that it's time for us to say, you know what, not only am I going to pray, it's time to really, really pray, if you will. The first pastor of this church was here almost 30 years. He was the first pastor of this church. He was here for almost 30 years. In February, I will have been here 25 years. Now, if you'll give that a little thought, this, this church that is well over 50 years old has had only two pastors in all of the time of this church. It's had only two pastors. And this church is going to have another pastor. A year from now, there will either be an interim pastor standing here and preaching, or a pastor that you have called standing here and preaching. But I will not be standing here and preaching. And so after 55 years or so, this church will have another pastor, the third pastor. And they realized in their time of need that it was time to pray. And I hope that, that you in the course of all of this have come to understand that it's time to pray. And they were together in prayer. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together. Together. You ever been in a three-legged race? You, you remember back when they used to tie your legs together and you'd, you'd run down and run back? And if, and, and if you weren't working together, you certainly didn't win the race. You fell flat on your face. You, it wasn't a good thing if you weren't working together. Well, multiply that by umpteen times and think about what it is for this church to pray together that God's leadership in the future 
will be as clear as his leadership in the, in the past. And, and let me say this. If, if you think that this is the year for the preacher to preach nostalgic messages of how wonderful everything has been and, and all of those kinds of things, and, and if you think this is not the year for me to preach to unity all the time, you're just mistaken. I'm going to be preaching for unity and to unity all the time. All the time. I had a church member from my church in Nashville to call me this week for a couple of, couple of reasons. What a good guy he is. And just as the most unassuming person you'll ever meet. What an awesome guy. His name is, is Mike. And uh, Mike called me and uh, he was talking about the fact that we were transitioning. And I told him, I said, Mike, I'm preaching a lot uh, like I did when I came to the end of my time there at Metro in Nashville. I'm, I'm preaching a lot like that. And, and I said, Mike, you know, this is a dangerous time for, he said, oh, Brother Randy, I know. They call me Brother Randy there all the time. He said, Brother Randy, I know. And I, I said, Mike, I remember you making a phone call to me. Here's what I had said to them back in that time. I had said, because I was leaving and coming here, and I said to them, I don't want anybody to call me in the next six months. I don't want you to call me or my wife in the next six months. I love you. I'd love to hear from you, but I don't want you to call me in the next six months. Now, in their case, they had a new pastor coming. And I said, I want you to spend six months loving that new pastor, six months working to be in unity as a church. I don't want you calling me. And here's what I said. And I, and I know this is, my circumstances were different there than they are here. I, I, my wife and I, under the leadership of God, started that church. But, but I, I told him, <clears throat> I said, I, I told them as a church family, I said, my interest in, in starting this church on July the 4th, 1976, and that was the date of our, the first day of our church, July the 4th, 1976. I said, I didn't come here to build a following. I came here to build a church. And so I don't want you calling me for six months. And I, I just kind of laid that out there and, and said that. It's not what I'm saying to you. Um, I, I said to them, I, I don't want you to call me for six months. Well, after about four months, this man who called me this week called me. And first thing he said was, preacher, I know that you said don't call you for six months. And I said, Mike, it's okay. Because by then I had been four months here and where I had taken so many shots, I, I, you know, I felt like I was on the battlefield. I was glad to hear, uh, you know, from somebody. And I said, oh, Mike, that's okay. And he began to, to cry. And I said, what's going on, Mike? And he said, well, preacher, I just called to tell you that you built a church and not a following. And our church is doing great. And that church is doing great. They still are doing great. They just had their 40th anniversary as a church. And they are still a strong and vibrant church. But one of the reasons is because they are together. And they've always worked hard to be together. If this church family is going to pray together, it must be together. There must be no division. There must be no gossip. There must be no 
uh, I'll, I'll use the term silly speculation. There shouldn't be any of that. There should be prayer and there should be unity. The, the early church lifted their voice together. Certainly division would come later to, uh, but, uh, to this bold group of believers and it would weaken them. But for now they were unified in prayer. They prayed in a singleness of heart uh, and prayer. And they did so while acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Their singleness of prayer did not interrupt or diminish the sovereignty of God. When Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he told them that the will of God was the first thing to recognize in times of prayer. This is what Carol was singing about this morning. We are invited and encouraged to pray all the while knowing that the hand of a sovereign God is at work in our lives. And the reason we pray is because it is the will of a sovereign God that we pray. Luke 18, 1, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. In their prayer, the church at Jerusalem came before their God in in considerable acknowledgement of his sovereignty, but, but still making their request known. They were not fatalists, but they were realists about the state that they were in and the hand of God in their lives and in their circumstances. So, in their time of togetherness in prayer, they lifted up their voices praying to a sovereign God, acknowledging that He was their, our Creator. That's how their prayers came about. Again, verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, I've I've stated on more than one occasion lately, in fact, I just worked on a sermon this week in our Hebrew study where I stated again, and I'll continue to state it until my last breath, that we cannot see God really as we should until we understand Him as our Creator God. Knowing that He is our Creator is the first step in really seeing who He is as our God. Look, the He is the creator of all things, and failing to recognize that He is the creator makes us unaccountable. We're unaccountable if we're not created. We just don't. We're unaccountable, period. If if we are unaccountable, then there's really no reason to pray. But if God is sovereign, if God is the creator God, and the creator sovereign God made us, then there is reason to pray. The God who created everything and knows all things can address the situations and the challenges of our lives. And the church at Jerusalem knew that God was their creator, and that caused them to acknowledge something about the state that they were in. They said, God, you are our creator, and we know you see our circumstances. You made us, and you know us, and you know where we are right now. Now, here's where they thought they were. They thought they were in the midst of the prophecy of God of the end times. The quotation that's given in verse 25 is from Psalm chapter 2, which is a prophetic passage of Scripture about the tribulation time. Here's what they said in their prayer. Verse 25, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
to the early church, it seemed like that this time was upon them. It seemed like that they had seen that the people on this earth, the rulers on this earth, had set themselves against them, and that's not too hard to imagine. I've thought, and probably you have thought as well, that the state of our world must surely be a sign of the soon return of Jesus Christ. And we're not wrong to think like this. In fact, it's good for us to think like this. It's good for us to think and genuinely believe that we have to be in the last times. And we are in a mess, are we not? It's good for us to acknowledge the mess that we're in and to believe that we're in the the last times. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8? Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In the case of the church at Jerusalem, they had not yet understood what it means to love the appearing of Christ. They saw persecution to come, and they felt that this had to mean that Jesus would soon be coming for them. They saw their circumstances, and they prayed for their their crisis. They said, Lord, see our crisis. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. These people have witnessed the the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they are expecting that just as the Father had willed the death of his Son, that they too will face the wrath of those who have come to put themselves against Jesus. And they didn't shrink from it. They had seen Jesus crucified, and they felt we're at the brink of being crucified. And they said, we're not going to shrink for that. We're just going to ask you, God, do something through us if we are to be persecuted. They didn't want to just brace themselves. Sometimes we just brace ourselves. They wanted to be empowered, to be used of God during times of of tribulation. Now we see the sincerity of their prayer. Have you ever heard of someone praying? They were in a bad situation. They said, God, just whatever it takes, just whatever it takes, God, do whatever it takes. And then subsequently they themselves or somebody else, or, or that person for whom they're praying. Maybe they were praying for a, a child who was wandering. Maybe they were praying for someone else. But, but during the course of all of that, something really difficult happened to that person who was praying or that, that child for whom they were praying. And, and I mean, it, their whole lives just, just turned around. Kind of th- that kind of thing took place for my friend Tim Lee, who lost both legs in a, a box mine, landmine explosion in Vietnam many years ago. He had come to that place in his life. People were praying for him in that regard. And then someone makes this statement, be careful what you pray for. You ever heard somebody say that? Be careful what you pray for. And so I'm going to tell you, you be careful what you pray for. 
You say, well, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God will do whatever it takes to, to pull our church together and to make our church family one and, and to, to make sure that, that this next year is a wonderful year in the history of our church and to make sure that God leads us to the right. I'm going to pray whatever it takes. Well, if you do, be prepared. They were prepared. They had seen Jesus crucified. Their friends, Peter and John, had just been imprisoned for preaching the word. And they prayed, Lord, just do what you need to do. The church at Jerusalem was willing for God to do whatever it might take for them to be used in service for him. What was their prayer? Speak through us. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They did not cower at the challenge before them. They embraced it. They said, this is a good thing. Now speak through your servants. They knew that challenging days were ahead, but they remained unmoved by that threat or the possibility of persecution. Their prayer that, was that God would give them boldness to speak the word of God. You, you, the body of Christ here at 3000 North Meridian Road. You're challenged with doing again what was done a little, a little over 25 or about 25 years ago. Find the man of God for this church. You're challenged with doing some things. You're challenged with setting aside prejudices. You're challenged with setting aside preferences to make sure that the one to follow this pastor is who God wants here and speaks the Word of God with boldness. And, and I will say this to you, that that is a vital criteria for your next pastor. You, you cannot allow yourselves to ask God to send you somebody that'll be a little easier on the word. That is not what God would have, and that, that is not how you should pray. All of, all of that, that, that the word of God would continue to go on with boldness and so on, all of that, and that souls would be saved and, and so forth, that begins with a prayer, a singleness of prayer, a fellowship of prayer, a prayer of submission to God. God, you are sovereign, and we are asking you, God, in your sovereign will to hear our prayer. The church at Jerusalem wanted nothing more than for God to use them. That's what they wanted. They didn't feel that they needed to be entertained. Oh, God, give us more entertainment. Help us to have somebody who's entertaining. We want an entertaining preacher. Pastor Ray is so funny. We want another funny preacher. And I am kind of funny. I mean, I've always been funny. We're going to keep being funny. But you don't necessarily need a preacher exactly like me. This the last preacher. Was anybody here that knew Pastor Blair? Anybody here knew Pastor Blair? You could hardly get him to laugh. 
He didn't laugh at anything. Very little. He'd stare at you. I, I remember. I mean, I came down and, and I spent some time with him. And, and I mean, shoot now, I'm, I'm just funny, dude. That's just all there is to it. I'm just funny. And if you don't think I'm funny, something's wrong with you. I remember him just staring at me. Obviously, this church didn't call somebody that was going to be like him because I'm nuts. You say, I know, we need somebody who's serious. All right, maybe you do. But what you really need is for God to send you someone that would continue to preach the Word and stand on the Word. They didn't need to be entertained. They wanted their church to speak the Word of God with boldness. Speak through us was their prayer. And not only that, they said, stretch through us. God, not only speak through us, but put your hand and stretch. They wanted God's Word to flow from their church and God's hand to reach through their church. Verse 30, and while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There is a principle of being the kind of steward or servant that God would have us to be. It's the principle of occupation. Jesus gave this principle in Luke chapter 19 and verse 13, calling Ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Now, in the King James Version, the words engage in business is the single word occupy. It says, Occupy till I come. And here's what that means the Bible tells us to do God's business during our time of waiting for God to move. We wait on the Lord. Here's what that means. That means that we don't get ahead of Him. We let His plan and His will come to pass. However, when it comes to praying, we are told to watch and pray, not wait and pray. We are to do and pray. When, look, you're going to go to lunch here in a few minutes. You either go home or you know, whatever it is, if you got a sandwich in the car, eat it in the parking lot, whatever it is, you can go to lunch. And, and you're probably, hopefully, you're going to pray. And you're going to say, Lord, thank you for the food. Thank you so much for the day. Thank you for the, the day in, in, uh, God, in your house this morning and the message, and it challenged me. And Lord, now I pray that you will bless this food to the nourishment of my body. And thank you so much for it, Lord. Feed me and nourish me with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Feed me with it. Nourish me with it. Well, you got a fork and a knife. Cut it up and pick it up. Yeah, but I ask you to feed me with it. And to nourish me with it. Yes, and I told you to watch and pray, to occupy till I come, to do business. Now, don't be silly. Eat your broccoli. That's, a lot of times, that's what happens. We pray 
and then do nothing. Now, we shouldn't do things outside of the will of God. We shouldn't run ahead of the will of God. But my, my friends, we should understand that in the course of our praying, we're asking God to stretch his hand through us. And so we're not marching. Look, please don't let this church get on a treadmill for the next several months until a new pastor is here. Please don't do that. I'm, I'm pleading with you, don't do that. I'm, I'm really asking you. I, I, get on a, I get on a treadmill over at Gold's Gym, and I go on that treadmill, and I incline it, and I have a little system that I, that I go on it. But I want to tell you something. That treadmill is more of a dreadmill for me. I really dread that sucker. Oh, man. Just no good. I, don't, I mean, I do it because I know why I do it. Don't make... God's house, the dreaded place, well, we're just kind of waiting until, you know, he gets out of here and then we can get the next real guy in here. Can you see where I'm, what I'm trying to say? You, you understand that? So, nod your head, do something, burp, do something. Please don't burp. Um, we have seen then in this prayer for boldness, a singleness of prayer, and the sovereignty of prayer, and sincerity of prayer. And I've got to close with this, the spirit of prayer. You have to love it when the Holy Spirit shows up. And I want to bring this message and series to a close by showing you what happened when the church prayed for boldness. First of all, they gathered for prayer. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. If you've not gathered in one of these prayer fellowships that I've asked to be led by some of the leadership of our church, the deacons, staff, Sunday school leaders, school leaders, and so on, you really must do so. I encourage you to do so. Now, and you say, well, I haven't been asked. Ask around. Ask around because I really want you to be a part of, and every member of this church needs to be a part of those prayer circles and those of you who are charged with organizing these. And I've heard from a few of you, and thank God for you. I've heard from, from uh, a few of you who are having prayer meetings in your home, and, and uh, I got uh, an email from uh, one of the ladies of our church. She's a leader in our school, and she's having a prayer meeting every Wednesday in her home and, and asking people from the church to come and, and to pray and, and and some of you will lead in one of those prayer meetings or two or three or four. But by all means, let us get together and pray and continue to pray. Gather for prayer and then get the Spirit's power. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't you just love it for God to rock this house? Hmm? Wouldn't that be cool for God to just rock this house? The same church or, or the, the same spirit that rocked the house of the Jerusalem church is available to rock this house. The same spirit. Well, no, it's not the same spirit. A lot of the spirit's energy has gone out since those days. Nah, 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 nah. Not a bit. The same spirit. And, and let me tell you, he wants to rock this house. But let me assure you of this. God will not rock a house divided. The Spirit will not rock a house divided. You might get rocked until you 
uh, lose that spirit of divisiveness. But you can be sure that he won't rock a house divided. I'll tell you something else he won't do. He won't rock a house half-hearted. He rocked the house of the Jerusalem church, a church that was united and committed to allow God's will to play out in their lives. All they wanted was for God to use them and for God to work through them and for God to speak the word. Finishing verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When God rocks the house, the word of God is preached with boldness. Do you wish your pastor would preach better sermons? Then pray for God to rock the house. Do you wish more people would be saved and pray for God to rock the house? Do you want God to do something miraculous at North Florida? Then pray for God to rock the house. Do you know the best way to get God to rock the house? Do you? Beg God to rock your world. Beg God to rock you, to move you, to turn your life upside down for Jesus. We have to get off of this casual, measured, enough is enough relationship with God and his work. And we've got to believe that God is big and God is is bigger than our cubicle. And God can do things beyond what we even ask or think or hope or dream that God is huge. God can do anything. You've heard the saying, go big or go home. Why don't we just go big? Why don't we just ask God to rock us individually, shake us up, stir our nest, make us uncomfortable. And when God makes us uncomfortable, respond to that discomfort and say, what would you have me to do, Lord? And the result of that will be a people of God with boldness, a family of God with boldness, a church that sees genuine revival and does greater things ahead than it ever did in the past.